everyone. Welcome to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, the show that takes you on a deep dive on what's happening in the food and wine and beverage industry here, primarily in the D.C. area. But, you know, sometimes we take a trip and go someplace else and bring cool people in. And here I am at my beautiful home, the Wine Lair, the private wine club right next to the Ritz-Carlton uh, in downtown D.C. If you haven't had an opportunity to come here, you really should. It is such a gorgeous space. And even though it is a luxe private wine club, they may let you in, especially if you Tell them I sent you. Um, but you can check out the beautiful sellers and they do do amazing events here, some open to the public. And if you go to the listareyouwanted.com, you can check out all of those as well. So if you're new here, thanks so much for joining me. Again, I'm Nikki Nellis and I've been covering the DC food, wine and hospitality scene for the last 20 years. Yes, all of it shows on my face and a little bit in my gut as well. Um, but it is a, a total uh, gift and I'm always grateful that I have the opportunity to do this as a uh, my passion and my profession. Uh, so you follow me at NYCCI, N-E-L-L-I-S, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for all of my eats and treats and travels. Um, and you tune in every Sunday to my husband, David, and I. He gets to ride my coattails and join me on Foodie and the Beast, the only food and wine variety show in the D.C. metro area. That's on 1500 on Sundays. Of course, it's downloadable. Um, and then you probably hear me on WTOP. And of course, once again, you always go to the list or you want it.com, the online e-zine that tells you absolutely everything that's happening in the DC metro area. Whew. Okay. So that's me at the moment. Um, but, uh, if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I've been out of town for a bit, which is why I'm like two shows behind. Uh, I got to head out to Tucson to see Miss Tess, my daughter who goes to University of Arizona. Um, and I really, she's my fifth kid, for those of you who don't know. And I really can't believe that she's my first kid who went out West because now I wish all four before her went out West because now I get to go out West and I really love it. So uh, we went to uh, Tucson, had some really fun times there. There is this 4th Street Avenue Festival every spring. It is the biggest festival I've ever seen local artisans, great distilleries, lots of brews and foods and interesting treats. So cool to see. Um, there is a market there called Time Market. I would like one on every corner in DC. It's a gorgeous, and I hate the word gourmet, but it's really the best way to explain it. Really interesting items, lots of lovely tastes, great wines, ciders, beers, and um, also a beautiful restaurant that includes fresh baked breads, fresh, fresh baked pastries, pizzas, and a small menu. I think we go there like twice a day. I just, I told my daughter that if I went to school there, that's where all my money would go because I would be there like checking out all the products all the time. Um, she looked at me like, yeah, well, that's not where my money goes. And I'm, I can only bet where her money is going. So uh, we did take a ride out to Scottsdale and we went to Phoenix specifically to go to JL Patisserie on the long list for the James Beard. Uh, she is doing some amazing pastries, including her cruffin, which is a croissant-like muffin. So when you open it up, it's like oozing out. So all sorts of gooey caramel and pistachio creams, delicious. Also did a savory roast beef and horseradish croissant, which I was all about. It was amazing. Uh, we shied around a little bit, but then we went to Valentine, which was very high on my list, also on the James Beard long list. A really funky restaurant in the Melrose District. Um, the Melrose District is kind of like Ivy City, a little bit older, but there's lots of vintage stores there. So it was really cool. And Valentine is serving a huge natural wine program, which deserves all the accolades it gets. A really like funky, cool crew of people who are really passionate about the food, wine, and cocktails that they are serving. But the funnest part for us, other than the food, which was great, was that this antique store, which was attached to it, um, had our dining room chairs in it and we did not know it. So um, we left with brand new mid-century modern dining room chairs, which was so cool. And I can't wait to post a picture of them when they arrive in my house. We left Tucson, said goodbye to my daughter Tess and headed out to Palm Springs. I hadn't been there in quite some time and I was really looking forward to get away. Um, if you haven't been to Palm Springs, it's super like swanky parts of it. So we stayed at the Colony Palms, which is a recently renovated Steve Harmon property. 
Um, it looks like the Rat Pack is staying there. It's just really cool. Got a great vibe. No kids allowed, which I totally never thought was something I would dig. And now I really do. Um, and that was great. Uh, we went to a really good restaurant. I mean, you're not going to Palm Springs to eat. I just want to be clear. But the food there is really competent and very good. Big shout out to Tara Lazar and her F10 uh, creations. She's got 15 restaurants there. She's one of the few female restaurateurs in the country who has businesses like hers. So she has a gorgeous steakhouse called Lions. She's got uh, this amazing brunch place called Cheekies, which is open for brunch seven days a week. DC could totally use a Cheekies. The food is great. And also her property, Burba, which is a great pizza shop. Everything's just like fun and flip and outdoors. And it just, it just feels good. We did take a road trip out to Joshua Tree. It's only a half hour away. Um, and that was really cool as a hiker. I really got my hiking in. And um, my husband, who's a sun worshiper, got his sun worshiping in. So um, it was a great trip all around. And if you follow me again on Instagram, you'll see um, some of the great eats we had and some of the great things we did. And I'm still putting together some reels because I really hate doing it, but um, I will finish them and you will be able to see them. Um, okay, so that's my trip. Um, and I have, I've been back for a week, so I've been eating out a lot, but I don't want to bore you anymore with those eats. Those will be showing up uh, on the next show as well as on my social media. So now that I'm back and we're here in studio, a few weeks back, I had uh, Corey Van Horn, who is the Chief Strategy Officer of Visit Montgomery um, in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is where I live. I live in Kensington. And he was on Foodie and the Beast, and he was chatting about like all these exciting programs uh, that were being launched as ways to engage with those who not only live in Montgomery County, but people who are coming into Montgomery County, because there's so much tourism coming in there. Um, and I just... If you watch the show or if you know me, you know I'm like fascinated by progress and process and how people from, let's say, a city or state level engage with the people that they want to come in. I love people who think out of the box and I want to learn all about it. So when Corey came on Foodie and the Beast, I was like, I need more. So he was like, I and I will. I will meet you at that. I've got more. So um, what's interesting about Montgomery County is they have this MoCo Eats program. They have this um, craft beverage program called, um, excuse me, Tastemaker Trail. And then they've got this whole dedication to agritourism. And you may be like, what? But if you travel to Europe, agritourism is an amazing way to travel and visit another country, having done it myself in Italy. So I'm so excited because Corey has brought in a whole crew for me today. Um, and he brought with him Kelly Groff, who is also with Visit Montgomery. She is the president and CEO. Uh, so she's above you, dude. Uh, and then <laughs> I've got uh, Tommy Evans, uh, who is owner and cider maker of two-story chimney cider works in Montgomery County. And Alex Markov, who is the director of Cal... Kaleva, thank you. Kaleva Farms, um, which is doing some really incredible programming aside from doing some great agriculture and farm work. So we're going to find out about everyone. So I want to thank you all for joining me today. Um, I don't normally have four people here, so I'm like, I don't even know <laughs> where to look, but I'm having a good time with it. Okay, so let's start with Kelly and Corey. I feel like you're like um, like a band name, Kelly and Corey. Or Corey and Kelly. Um, Kelly, let's start with you and talk about Montgomery County. So um, today we're talking about the agricultural part of Montgomery County. We can Montgomery, get there. Montgomery I'll get County you there, is very yes. Montgomery County is very urban, mm -hmm. and uh, with our downtown districts and our town centers. Right, but let's talk to me. Like I don't live there. So for people who are listening who have never been to Montgomery County and don't know where it is, let's give them a four one one. Let's start there. Okay. Okay. Well, there's 18 Montgomery counties in the country, so right. let's start with. My sister lives right in one out, in Pennsylvania. We are right outside of Washington, D.C., uh -huh. on the western borders with the communities of Bethesda, Chevy Chase, Silver Spring, Rockville, Gaithersburg, and Germantown and our ag reserve that we're going to talk about shortly. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so how? what is it that you all do for Visit Montgomery? Like, I mean, what is the point of your business. So Visit Montgomery is uh, known as a destination marketing organization. Some people know it as a, a convention and visitors bureau or a tourism mm -hmm. office. So we're actually a nonprofit. So we're a 501c6. Um, and oh, that's a new one. What's the difference between a 501c3? 
C three. Uh, so we're uh, we have a membership component uh, to okay. ours, so that's that's kind of what makes it different. Interesting. Uh, and what's what's really cool is is that a majority of our funding comes from the hotel occupancy tax. So when you're staying overnight in a hotel in Montgomery County, a, per, a portion of that um, tax that's collected and given to the county is then reinvested back into our programs. Well, I think that's really interesting because yeah. I mean that's actually a big conversation right now. People are talking about these fees that they see when they stay in hotels, yeah. right? And most hotels don't even know how to answer what those fees are, but that's really interesting. So it goes specifically for it, the platform, raising the platform yeah. of what's happening in Montgomery County. Yeah, so 7% of the tax is collected and then paid to Montgomery County, mm -hmm. uh, the Montgomery County government, and then 7% of the total collections mm -hmm. is then funded to us to uh, implement our programs and to really elevate the profile of Montgomery County as a tourism destination. Well, so how do you go about doing that? Like what are the programs and how and how do you create them? Especially like if we talk about the growth of Montgomery County in the yeah. last 20 years, I know we want to get into the agricultural reserve and its importance, but there's been a drastic change in Montgomery County, and this is not something that's just happening locally. This is a national trend, right? Areas that were more rural are becoming more urban because there's more money in that. So um, can we talk about the growth and changes in Montgomery County? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, so our number one focus is to really put Montgomery County on the map. So mm -hmm. a big percentage of what we do is, is advertising and, and implementing just you know, the hardcore marketing 101 type So when you strategies. say advertising, you mean like outside of Montgomery County? Yeah. So we, uh, we advertise, uh, within a four hour driving radius and mm -hmm. a two hour direct flight, flight radius, um, out of BWI. Um, so we place advertising in big publications like Better Homes and Gardens and, you know, Martha Stewart Living when it was still around. Um, and, um, and, you know, digital advertising and things like that, really just to target leisure travelers, to target business travelers, you know, every type of traveler you can think of that wants to come to Montgomery County. Mm -hmm. As a result of it, Montgomery County is actually the most visited county in Maryland. Wow. Yeah. Uh, for day and, and overnight travel okay. um, as well. So, And what are people coming here for? So they're coming here for what we like to say is elevated experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're talking, you know, <laughs> venues like Strathmore that are doing these world class performances, um, you know, unbelievable museums like, like Glenstone Museum. Glenstone is amazing. I know, isn't it gorgeous? It's amazing. You know, 300 acres of modern and contemporary art. Um, and then, you know, much like what we're going to talk about now is, is all these hidden treasures, mm -hmm. you know, all these hidden gems of historic sites and like Josiah Henson Museum and the Agricultural Reserve where, mm -hmm. where, you know, people are, you know, drinking beer on horse farms and stuff like that. So, right. so ultimately what we do is we look at, what what we call destination differentiators, what makes Montgomery County special, mm -hmm. and then we celebrate it. Well, I love that, but that's, I guess you've given me the end to the question I really have. Yeah. Like, which came first? Um, amazing businesses who were doing really cool things, or did you guys help create an avenue that would allow these amazing businesses to thrive? I think it's a combination of both. Okay. So it's not an either or. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, uh, Kelly uh, was here during the time when Strathmore was being built and our conference center. Um, so there, that was a time of big economic growth, mm -hmm. um, you know, several years ago. Um, yeah, and I'll just add that another kind of secret weapon we have in the county is our um, youth and amateur sports presence. Mm. Um, we have a soccer complex with 26 fields in Boyd's, Maryland, mm -hmm. and there's about 700,000 people a year wow. who come and visit that facility. And those travelers are from all over the country. Right. And any given weekend, when you go to Rio, you'll just see tons of people here from out of town. Or if you look at license plates. So that is our, our county convention center, our biggest room night generator. We have a conference center in North Bethesda. Mm -hmm. But that facility brings in a ton of business to the community. That's fascinating. All right. So we get figured out the urban areas. We understand how they work. Let's talk about... The rural areas of Montgomery County and, and preserving them. So because you can see the creepers trying to take those properties. So what did you guys do for that? Well, let's start with some history. Okay, yeah. I love it. Um, so in the 1950s, um, suburbanization was big, which was when developers were starting to find land where they could develop housing. Mm -hmm. Um, by the 1960s, half of the farmland was gone in Montgomery County. Wow. So fast forward to the 1980s, and mm -hmm. 
the county, with the credit of the elected officials and Montgomery County's Park and Planning Commission, created um, uh, the Agricultural Reserve. Mm -hmm. and, that and, what does that, and what does that encompass? Uh, most of the western part of Montgomery County, okay. lots of small communities, mm -hmm. but it's a third of the land mass for Montgomery County that's preserved agricultural. Okay. It's um, well known in the country that this was a, um, a move that was smart mm -hmm. for growth uh, and taking care of farmers who are now in their second and third generations mm -hmm. to preserve this land. So what does that, I guess that's really the question, what does the reserve mean? Like... Are you, yeah. Is it parcels of land specifically for yeah. like how how does it work? So it really is a um, it's a it's a, um, a land use use methodology. Okay. And so there's some requirements and restrictions around that. So mm -hmm. it does limit the amount of development. Um, so one example is is that um, you can only have one house per 25 acres. Mm -hmm. um, and then also what makes it interesting is there are things called transferable development rights that the landowners can, can sell those development rights, which then transfer the, uh, those rights over to other parts of the county. Okay. So that's why you're seeing like more development happening in Bethesda because they transferred um, what would have been considered development um, in up county to add more density to other parts of the county. And huh. yeah, and then so what's also happened over the last several years is, you know, there's these large farms and their multi-generational ownership, you know, um, Kaleva is an example of that, where the next generation is looking um, really creatively on how to utilize the land beyond just farming. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the agricultural tourism part's been, been coming in. Okay, but how are, well, you know what, why don't we stop there okay. and let's talk to these two about what they're doing. And then I want to sort of circle in, maybe we'll panel it a little bit and sort of talk about how you work together and how, you know, the education continues to get, like what the process is of getting people to know more about it and how people find you and things of that nature, you know, who are just not locals. Mm -hmm. um, so, Tony, hi. Hey. How are you? Sure. Yes, take the mic, please. Oh, I said Tony. Tommy, sorry about that. Tommy oh, Evans, Two Story Chimney Cider Works. Yeah, so um, I am the owner and cider maker at Two Story Chimney Cider Works. We are in the Agricultural Reserve of Montgomery County. I've mm -hmm. uh, been there for about five years making cider, lived there for about eight years. Um, but how'd you get into cider? I've in the past worked at uh, wineries and breweries. Uh, Got a farm, um, uh, not knowing about the agricultural reserve, it was on there. Um, thought I'd try to farm for a little while and realized I'd do something more than that. And uh, What kind my, of farming did you want to do? I, I wasn't totally sure when I got it. Um, I just knew this is what I wanted to do. So I thought I'd see what happened. And um, making alcohol in the past is kind of what happened. I, had some I love it. I love that trees. you're like, I'm just going to figure this out as I do it. <laughs> yes, most of my life and plans. Okay, yeah, it all great. works out though. Everything's great. Um, and yes, yeah, so there's some old apple trees on the property that were I mean, over 100 years old. I was able to graft off of those to make an orchard now that's all these you know heritage variety but uh wait i don't know what that means um so apple trees you have to graft from them to grow the same apples like if you grow an apple from a seed it won't grow the apple that you were eating it'll be a kind of a, a unique genetic modification of that so if you want that exact apple take a cutting off of that tree put it on some roots put that in the ground oh to get the same so you're apple. propagating exactly yeah. okay. so i'm taking this hundred year old tree and i'm just making clones of it cool. um and so i have a whole orchard of this old heritage variety that's no longer available anywhere except for from me so what are they um, called i didn't name it yet i don't know oh um, you're gonna call it the tommy i mean what are we yeah, gonna do yeah it's a good here? name it's my okay. son's name my dad's name my name so we'll just okay. stick on with that yeah okay <laughs> um but um but yeah so uh started making cider from those trees and started the cidery right before the pandemic um sounds like a good time to start it, it definitely changed everything up within three months of opening but yeah it, um, it all worked out pretty well well so you had these apples you decided to go into cidering but you didn't know anything about it about so, cider specific, no. Yeah. So I knew wine and beer. Um, you know, I've, I've made alcohol before, but you know, it's a very similar process. It's kind of a blend of the two. So beer is a very short timeline, um, and it's like all um, kind of American equipment. So everything's measured in gallons. Uh, wine is a longer timeline to make, but easier to make. It's more you kind of just press the fruit, get the juice, and then you start going. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's all like a European equipment, so metric. So I have a mixture of the two pieces of equipment. So half my uh, production building is metric, half is uh, standards constantly converting numbers there, but um, it's a quick turnaround like beer, uh, easy process like wine. It's kind of the best of both worlds. And what were you looking for 
when you were creating these cider? Because I see you have bottles and cans. How yeah. many different varieties do you do, and how do you how do you create them? I mean, yeah. not. I, I think there's a lot more information out there right now about beer and wine. I mean, yeah. so many people brew at home, and you can go to a vineyard and sort of do your own mixing. But cider is still. I mean, it's. It certainly has a national name and it's on restaurant menus, but I don't think people know as much about it and sort of the complexities of the taste. Yeah, so I make um, drier ciders. Um, sweeter ciders are what's more common, which is just dry or sweet, has a little sugar in it, a sweet cider. A dry cider is uh, no sugars in it, so it's not going to have that kind of sweet or syrupy flavors to it. Um, it's fairly simple. I press the apples, I get the juice, um, I'll add yeast, let it ferment, um, and then it just turns to alcohol on its own uh, from there. I carbonate and are bottle it. Are they naturally it, low ABV? Uh, yeah, so I don't add any sugars. So the only sugars in here are from the apples naturally, which is what turns to alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, so it falls in the 5 to 7% range with the apples that I use. So okay. a little more than a beer, a little less than a wine. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's, it's honestly a fairly easy process once you figure it out. Um, well, don't tell them it's that easy. <laughs> anyone's welcome. To, there's still, still plenty of meat on the bone. Anyone's okay. welcome to come on in and join too. And so now that you, once you realized you were part of this reserve, mm -hmm. how did you utilize that? relationship um well i had to do a farm-based business um and uh i was i was actually warned by other people that had an older mindset of yeah, montgomery right, county right, right. Yes. but yes when i started i was uh Wait, tell us what you're pouring first so this is our, my red piquet so i use local uh, grape skins as well on this. Thank you. So I make a dry cider on top of grape skins from Catoctin Breeze Vineyard, which is also in Maryland. Cool. Um, and it adds a little color, a little fruitiness, but it doesn't get sweet on top of a dry cider. What do we got? Three, four, five. Here we go. Great. And um, let's just put the bottle. Can you put the bottle in front of the camera so they can sure. see it? Great. So since this is our first glass, let's do a quick toast. Yeah, toast. Uh, thank you for bringing this. Yeah, right. thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you all for coming all right, in so today. Much. Cheers. 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 We'll give a shout out to Jill Collins for getting us all together today. And to the camera crew, who we can't do this all without at all. So thank you, everyone. Mm. Oh, that is super crisp. Thank you very much. Yeah. Really delicious. So that's kind of what we go for, um, which isn't super common yet. Um, but yeah, so this one, like I said, we make it on top of a bed of red grape skins I get from our friend's winery. Um, it stays mm -hmm. all Maryland, so it's all Maryland apples. The grape skins were already made into a wine, and I use those skins are Maryland grapes. Um, it's probably one of our most popular ciders. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, so now, can people come to you? Can yeah, so like we have a lovely tasting room uh, okay. right at our orchard. You can come. Uh, we have ciders on tap there as well as to go. Uh, we do farmers market. So you're from Kensington. We do a Kensington farmers market oh, once a month. Yep, we do uh, one at Pike and Rose. We do one um, in Olney, another one in Urbana. Um, and then a few local breweries and small restaurants in Montgomery County run also. Um, you know, there's a new brewery in Kensington called Baby Cat. Yes, I've, I've been there actually. Yeah, they're okay. wonderful. Yeah, they're, they're, they're packed. They're a wonderful place. I yeah. mean, they don't even have to serve the beer. Yeah, it's <laughs> really. Yes. Really, it's a good spot. Yeah, but we have we have a much larger space. We are in the ag reserve, so we have tons of outdoor seating as well. Mm. Um, really encourage families to come. Um, you know, any nice day you'll see kids running around, kites, people playing soccer, frisbee, and just like a almost like a park you can come to and also grab some cider um, or gluten free beer now as well at our place. Oh, and you're making that? Yes, yes. We have a separate company. Celiac started that up uh, last year. Um, so we have gluten free beer from uh, Corner Grow on the property as well. Cool. All right. We're going to put a pin in you right. for a sec, and then All we'll come right. back and talk a little bit more uh, with the group about like how you work with the reserve and what that means, yeah. and we'll figure out what the business is. Okay. Hey. Well, first I want to see, are we, are we all going to head to your place afterwards? Right. <laughs> I hope so. The taps will be open. Right. right. Okay. Very good. Okay. Alex. Yes. Hi. Hi. Talk to me about the farm. Uh, so the farm, so Kaleb was born in the early 90s as really as a summer camp, an outdoor summer camp for kids. Uh, and my, I grew up at a valley mill with my brothers. and which Like a started, day camp? Yeah, like a day camp. Okay. Yeah, I, I think uh, today, because you just asked about the farm, Kaleva is most known for our outdoor ed programs and for a big Halloween event that we run in on our farm. Okay. Uh, in Dickerson. But... And we're a little lesser known for a lot of the events and the, the activities that we're doing right now presently, the farming on our farm, mm -hmm. and, which is why it's exciting to be here because it's, I want people to come out and see some of these other, another side of Kaleva. Um, but we are, 
uh, busier and busier every day with a lot of the farming activities we're doing. And so let's I, talk about the farm itself. Yeah. What are you growing? Who got into farming first? How did the farm become the farm? Okay. So uh, we presently grow our, our own hay for our cows mm -hmm. and for our horses. So that's probably our biggest crop. We grow a lot of children, we like to say, because we have a lot of kids that are involved in the Kaleva <laughs> programs, not only on our farm, but just around the, the Washington, D.C. area. I love that. Um, and we grow up, we, we have a couple acres of vegetables mm -hmm. that we use primarily. Tom was asking before where our, our products go, but that we really use, we don't sell a lot of our products out on a, a farmer's market. Most of what we grow, whether it's our proteins and or our vegetables, we use in our, in our programs. Okay, so, but you have cows and horses. We have cows, horses, pigs, chickens, uh, goats, uh, egg layers, and meat chickens, and and all of those proteins we use in our meals mm -hmm. and the vegetables that we grow on our farm, we use in our, in our meals as well that we're serving to different and people. And is there anything special about the chickens or the cows? Like, is there certain breeds that you're using or is it just, you guys just sort of went with what you had or yeah, the cows? I mean, so our farm has definitely been a, just because we never grew up on a farm. I grew up at a camp mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and entering, it's actually kind of neat to hear the history of, of the Ag Reserve because we, when we first bought our farm, thought, hey, big camp out in, out on this beautiful farm and realized really quickly the restrictions so it, that there did are. Did you buy this or was it yours yeah, yeah. or your yeah, family? The, yeah, I bought it in the early 90s, mid 90s. Okay. And um, we realized pretty quickly that... Um, that there that we need to have an agricultural component to our programming, mm -hmm. and I and if you had asked me, you know, when Kaleva started, we, if that was ever part of the plan, it certainly wasn't. Mm -hmm. And then uh, realizing that we had to have that that side of you know that component to operate on our farm, it has been the best thing ever because it's really um, allowed us to to discover and explore and learn and create this other side of Kaleva that I don't think we ever would have had. And uh, I, I look at, I mean, here we are sitting right near, obviously down, down at mile zero on the towpath. We're at mile 40 on along the Sino Canal. So we're really not that far away, but you get out there, we're right beyond White's Ferry. And it's amazing that it's so close to the DC area and kudos, like you said, to the, the early visionaries of the Ag Reserve, mm -hmm. because it is an awesome 90,000 acres that has been set aside. Um, and we have learned to live within it, um, with all of our programming and, and have in some ways had our hands kind of steered in a direction that we probably would not have done were it not for the ag reserve. And well, so what, what, what did the reserve sort of say to you or offer to you that you were like, Oh, light bulb, let's do this or light bulb, let's do that. Well, I would say today, like our farm camp mm -hmm. is a program that I don't know if we would have. I mean, when we first started Kaleba, it was a lot of your outdoor adventure sports, rock climbing, sure. and they still are. We're, we're known for our rock climbing, our kayaking, um, you know, rafting, a lot of outdoor adventure sports. But in addition, we have a very large riding program that, that takes place year-round on our farm. Mm -hmm. And our um, ag uh, programs with, with school groups that come out and with uh, all of our camps that we run out there. So, so it's a lot of educational programming. A lot of educational programming. I and, love that. Yeah, and it, what's neat is that you know, there's definitely like this cyclical, I mean, just the other day we were having a meeting about all of our events that are coming up this, this, uh, this season. And one of the big ones are these pizza nights that we do where we make a really good pizza out of our kitchen on the farm. And a lot of the, all the proteins are coming from our animals and a lot of the vegetables that are going on top of these pizzas are, are coming out of the garden. And the kids that come out, they participate in that process. And it's just, it's a neat full circle. A lot, a lot of them will come out with their parents during pizza night and, uh, so when did you, when did the food component start for you all? Since you were at camp originally, yeah. then you added the farming, but now you keep mentioning programming, but you're not really saying what the programming is, but now like the pizza nights, yeah. you're doing these, you're creating products. Yes. Um, so when did that component come in and, and who's making them? So we have been doing these, th these dinners that we call dirty dinners, mm -hmm. uh, taste of Kaleva. Uh, I think we're on our 11th or 12th year of those where wow. we every summer we would host three dinners and it's all like out in the field all right? out in the field uh all food coming off our farm or local farms um, did you ever do any work with outstanding in the field 
Uh, no, but I think they were certainly part of our inspiration. Well, I'm sure, but yeah. like they would probably work with a farm. Like you're the ideal for them. Yes. But anyway, we can talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we just kind of created our yeah, own out there. I see on, that on the field. I mean, right. It's just because we have so many kids that go through our programs, and our it's just an opportunity for parents to go. Um, let's go out and see where our kids are running around sometimes, and let's mm -hmm. also meet some of these people behind the the, the scenes at Kaleva. Because, you know, like on a typical farm to table event that we're doing, you know, there are 50 of our staff are also coming out on the weekend and, and serving and, and helping with the cooking. And, and what do these events look like? Like, let's take pizza night. Like, what do these dinners look like? What's the experience? So I would say kind of like what Tommy said. We're, you know, obviously in the Niagara Reserve, there's a lot of open space. And there mm -hmm. are families that come out and lay on the grass after they get some, what we think is delicious, some of our meatballs from our, our beef or um our, our far burrito pizza, which is, you know, representing some of our other, other proteins and, uh, parents come out and book a table ahead uh, or families come out, book a table ahead of time and sit around, eat some of our salad, eat some of our pizza, a couple of our fun appetizers. Uh, they'll drink a local, uh, wine or a local beer. And now Maybe a local Tommy, cider. <laughs> Tommy, a local cider for sure. Right. And, uh, and also sometimes some of the brewers, and I'm, I'm saying this on record because I think hopefully Tom will do this, will come out and also just talk. And yeah. And, you know, we had, we had a farm bureau dinner last year, and I think we teamed up with one local vineyards that came out and not only helped serve their product, but also would kind of, you know, met some of the local farmers. But so, don't you find, I mean, I would assume given how long you guys have been doing these kinds of dinners, that the layperson, I mean, Montgomery County is a... Uh, the whole DMV, really, where we live, yeah. um, is an primarily an educated consumer. Not 100%. Yes. Not everybody's like in it like we're in it, but it is an educated <laughs> consumer. And they do want to go to these events because they're, they want more info. Yeah. They would love to know who's making their cider or who's growing their vegetables or their bread or whatever, which, by the way, you should open up and show everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So the one thing I will say is Alex is being mo modest. His events are phenomenal. They sound phenomenal. Yeah, meaning that imagine the most picture-perfect, magazine-cover-worthy type experience. That's mm -hmm. what he's bringing to to Montgomery County's agritourism. So, so I just had to put that in there. That that that's it's phenomenal. Okay, we, so we tell care, me what you brought in. We care, so we can we care a lot about our, what we care a lot about what we're doing. We care a lot about the agriculture. We care a lot about uh, you know all of our kids that are in our program. We care a lot about them wanting to come back with their parents and with Alex, their friends. And open up the bread. That's <laughs> <laughs> so twice. We care. So this was made this morning by Andrew, inspired by Flash, our oh head gosh. chef. This is a this is a walnut. Uh, cranberry loaf of bread and he um, our commercial kitchen is making bread daily and serving it selling it in our store which is in downtown Poolsville. so our farm 200 acre farm is out in Dickerson okay where our kitchen is and we're obviously where we're growing all this stuff and then every morning at 1045 someone drives the the daily um, provisions um, yeah provisions like the bread is made every day and then these brownies, which... Um, so now where is the store? I feel, like, store you, I feel like you buried the lead there. You know what? We So Kaleva, I mean, we have, a, we have a site in West Virginia. We have a site in Virginia. So we're okay. kind of all over the place. Okay. So I'm kind of focusing mostly on Montgomery the County. And yeah. Yeah. So our, our store okay. is at our main office, which we call a lab. And that is in downtown Poolsville. And okay. in the front corner of our, of our office, there's a small farm store. And we sell our products. And we also sell... Uh, Tommy Cider, hopefully soon. Yes. Okay. And so you're a little have, like cooperative. You bring other people's products. We in. do. Yeah, yeah. We have Josie who makes amazing earrings and sells them, and we have just uh, some local artisans, but uh, mostly our we sell uh, uh, milk from South Mountain Creamery. We mm. sell uh, our own eggs, um, but we're pretty kind of like an open, yeah. you know. And it's all there's no one. It's all honor code. Just come in. Grab something, pay on the square. Super charming. Leaving, yeah. and it's it works. It's actually just a neat way for us to not only you know this actually is not looking that good. So we'll, uh, but this is a <laughs> granola bar that the kitchen has developed. And okay. So these are just like products that we are making daily that go to the store, and um, they're really tasty. Mm -hmm. And then we a lot of these will be featured obviously in some of our meals. Excellent. So one of the uh, one of our main events is this Taste of Kaleva, like we've been doing for 12 years. And that's where we get a couple hundred people that will come out and roam around the farm and do different 
tastings of uh, local wine or beer or a cocktail that we're making or a mocktail. And they're doing a tasting of something from the kitchen. And then they'll, they'll hop on a wagon and head to the sawmill and do a tasting down there. And they'll head to the windmill and do a tasting up there and just kind of move all over the place. And when is that? That is July 29th, I think, this year. So okay. end of July. So, of course, you'll send that information to me. We absolutely will. I Excellent. brought a card. So okay, good. Excellent. All right, so I want to bring it back. Yes. So you were, before I was bullying you to show the bread, yes. um, you were talking about how you work with Visit Montgomery County. So how does, how does this all work together? What is it that you supply to them and what do they do with you? How does it, how is the partnership made? Okay, well, before you guys say anything, like we get a lot of, of our, like we certainly have a lot of parents that come out from our campers, but we also get a lot of people through you guys that are just, that we don't know that just come on out and sign up for a table. And, and we, so we love it and appreciate it too. And I actually, when you were describing how the tax revenue goes towards you guys, I thought, what a neat thing. Just another, I mean, I love Montgomery County and I love to hear that because I think what a neat, well, I, well, that was my point. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think the layperson knows how it works. You know, we just sort of are bombarded yeah. by things, and um, I, like I said, I'm one of those people that I'm like, how did that happen? Like, how, how did agriculture become a mainstay of Montgomery County, even though all this major urban building is happening? Like, who decided that it was a priority, and then who came up with the brilliant idea of like? oh, not only do we want it because it's what's right, but we can still make money off of it, which some people may roll their eyes at, but let's be honest, it has to make money, right? In order to be beneficial and successful for everyone. Well, I think that's um, a big part of what they do or how they helped me was making it easier to open. Um, like when I first came here, started opening my business, a couple other friends of mine that have their own companies in Montgomery County are like, oh, Montgomery County is really hard to open. Be careful. And that was not my experience at all. Like, it's been super easy. And I think the big word is agritourism. And like when Visit Montgomery is like, hey, agritourism is a big deal and starts pushing it. And like, lets the people that are making all these laws know like this is how we can improve the county and draw more people in. And then they like pave a path for someone like me, whereas like other people in the past might have had a more difficult time. I think Montgomery County as a whole has been changing to like help out small businesses, especially like agritourism and people that are like, trying to you know start up something that maybe five ten years ago they would have met a lot more red tape with or difficult mm. times yeah i would uh totally agree and in fact i grew up thinking permitting uh -uh. let's county, get you in that mic uh permitting county uh you know difficult you know impossible all these things and i found nothing but in general like when we're dealing with like a county issue i, I just find like the county is more of a partner with us than than fighting against us. Or that's really us. what you want to hear. My understanding from people who are opening up stuff in Montgomery County, yep. quite frankly, is that it's not really the county. It's usually the landlords. It's usually, you know, yeah. it's usually the real estate that is the struggle initially. Yeah. But like you hear from, you know, just from people I deal with, I hear more about permitting and, and those kinds of things like in DC, you know, yeah. it's a monster. So um, I don't hear the same as much complaints, I should say, as Montgomery County as like what's happening in DC because yeah. it's just the backlog is insane. Yeah, I mean, I would say we went through year, years ago. We went through like permitting a wall where we had to like catch up on a lot of buildings that we were either behind on with our permits or they're kind of like are they are they used for commercial purposes like this haunted forest that we run or are they ag buildings which would need a permit. Mm -hmm. And so when when faced with a lot of those challenges, I felt like the Department of uh, uh, Permitting was just partnering with us and saying, hey, how can we get you guys where you need to be so that you can operate? Which I just, to me, I love. It's well, and for be. both of you, do you think Montgomery County has become more small business friendly instead of just attracting the big dollars, you know, the Marriott's or Hilton's or the people who are going to, you know, spend the big money? Do you feel that you've really made uh, made it a part of what you do to work with the independents? A majority of the businesses in the county are small businesses, 30,000 small businesses. So mm -hmm. it's really important that we take care of them. Yeah. We do have large corporations that are headquartered in the county, but 30,000 small businesses, we, you know, we really need to lean into and take mm -hmm. care of. I just want to add to um, that the consumer is curious now. 
Mm-hmm. So the Ag Reserve and what these two bring to the table, people want to come and learn and hear stories about things that maybe during their lifetime they haven't experienced. Mm-hmm. So it's really fun for, it's a really fun way for consumers to come and learn about that side of who we are. Um, and also fun to watch, you know, second or third generation innovation mm-hmm. in the Ag Reserve and what they're bringing. The wineries and breweries are just one example of that. Um, but it's really, really important. Well, I, it is important, but I also think it's a model that has been replicated in areas across the country, right? Like, yeah. look at Napa Valley, look at what started, you know, in the late 60s and 70s and what it is today. And I think Virginia took a cue from that and yeah. obviously Montgomery County that these sorts of businesses bring in revenue and it's better to support them in order for them to be successful as opposed to fighting them. Yeah. And the one thing I will say too is it, because it's Kelly and I talk about all the time about how, how much the, the rural side of Montgomery County is a hidden gem. Mm. Like this is just the tip of the iceberg of, of what we have uh, in store to bring more awareness. You talk about Napa Valley, you talk about what Virginia has done with DC's wine country. That's where we're, we're gearing up to do that here. Um, and the, the beauty of it is, is that there, the product is there. You know, we have like right, the two people like that are here, it. the product's there. Um, and the demand is there, you know. And, that, I mean, listen, yeah. we go out to Poolsville, we go out to lots of places, and I'm always, I literally want to walk around with a mic and my camera crew and be like, so how'd you find out about this today? Who, yeah. who told you about it? Like, yeah. how did you find out? Because I'm fascinated, because everywhere you go is busy. Yeah. And that's, I mean, exciting for me, but it is exciting to see that people do have that curiosity and are looking for other things to do. You know, like if you live in Montgomery County, you're looking to sort of stay in Montgomery County, where I think for a really long time you kind of left. Yeah, and that's the unique part about our um, visit Montgomery's job is is that we kind of have a view into the the you know the the inner workings of of how how tourism development can work and how you know making these very strategic moves can can impact um, things down the road for the future. But we also have to have an element of a crystal ball, and also at the same time have you know a ton of research to back up what we're doing and sure. the metrics. And then the other part is, is once we start to get to know that, like, for example, I knew about Tommy's business well in advance that he even knew about us. And then the irony is, is that, spying on you, I know, okay. <laughs> but the, but the irony of it is, is that because I also live in Montgomery County, um, eating is research for me. Right. And so I met him for the first time while he was vending at a Bethesda farmer's market. Mm-hmm. And so that's how it all kind of evolves over time. Well, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we are in different businesses, but we're both in the business of food, Yep. you know, so that's a huge part of knowing what people are doing and how they're doing it. Yeah. I like to say that we're in the, uh, tourism is the business of relationships mm-hmm. and uh, tourism development is, a, is the business of connecting those relationships for a, a broader cause. Oh, I love that. I love that too. Yeah. I mean, I sometimes wonder when people drive out to our farm, like, it's a distance. I mean, we're kind of, we are not far away. We're, we, you know. I know. I was going to say pick but, a lane because you're like, you're very close. No, and no, now no, you're no, like, no, now no. I'm far. Sure. But I think about like, I mean, I have four kids and how far are you willing to drive or how far are you willing to, how long are you willing to wait for a meal that you really want to go to? And I think it's a good question. I sometimes, and I'm, I'm humbled when I see just, you know, streams of cars that come out of people that are looking for, sound like you were doing that in your vacation where you're just like, you're looking for something great, something right. great to do with your kids, something great yeah. to, to connect and to slow down and see the sky and see the wide open start, all that stuff. And so to me, I, I guess I didn't know it, but I'm starting to realize it took me a while to realize that, man, it's such an important thing. People care about that. Want to have those experiences and want to have delicious food and delicious beverages. And they're willing to drive and there's delicious food here in DC and Bethesda, but they're willing to go, Hey, I'm going to drive an hour away down a dusty road and to, yeah, because to do this, you know? I think experiences, the need for experiences has changed also in the last 20 years. For sure. Yeah. I mean, people love convenience. Don't get me wrong. But on a, you know, if, if somebody heard about your dinner, that's on a Thursday night, they're like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to take off early and we're going to yeah. slip out there and we're yeah. going to go and experience it. People will pay for experiences, but they also want them. These are, these are priorities now. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, which is why I think, it gets us back to like Moco Eats and the trailways, like 
programming yeah. is everywhere, yeah. right? Like let's let's use Pike and Rose as a great example. You know, I mean, I love the aesthetic of Pike and Rose. I think it's a really pretty town center, um, but they do a shit ton of programming yeah. because you can't just open anymore. You have to open and you have to engage with people. You have to say, you wanna come here because the farmer's markets here is on Saturday. Yep. And you wanna come here because you can bring your dog here and it can come over here. And you wanna come here because we're doing a spring festival. And I, I really believe you're seeing that everywhere because people wanna know that there's more than one thing to do. Yep. And and it's, an, it's a, I don't think it's an evil, it's a necessity. And I think it makes things, I think it makes everything better. Yeah, and the programming and the experiences that Montgomery County have, they're rooted in authenticity. Mm -hmm. They're rooted in some mm -hmm. element of culture and cultural experiences. And that's where, you know, and how Mocha Wheats and Tastemakers Trail got, was born was because we knew that we needed to tell that story even more. And the way that you do that is to package it into a program. Okay, so just real quick, because we do have to wrap up shortly. Uh, Moco Eats, give us the elevator speech. So Moco Eats is a uh, started out as a business directory, and now it is an opportunity to celebrate Montgomery County's diversity through cuisine. Okay, and how do I use it? You go to mocoeats.com and you uh, find the restaurants of your dreams and of any type of cuisine you can think of. Now, would these two it. be on that? Yep, so they're uh, they're on it, but then they're also on our Tastemakers Trail as well. Okay, and let's talk about what that is. So the Tastemakers Trail is um, a craft beverage experience mm -hmm. where um, over 20 craft beverage producers, wineries, distilleries, um, of, or cideries, things like that, are all featured and packaged into a self-guided uh, trail experience. Cool. And uh, you can go anywhere in the county and, and try any craft beverage do you, you can. Give, I, I hope I'm not saying something that you haven't thought of, but I'm sure you have. But do you give like... If you wanted to do three or four in a day, you could go here, here, and here. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. a like a guide yeah. suggested. Yeah. Itinerary. Yeah. Yes, a yeah, suggested so itinerary. Right. Yes. That's so, that's so cool. That yeah. So, when did the like all the craft breweries in the wine? Okay. Start? You <laughs> cannot ask questions without talking in the mic. When? No, but I'm okay. curious because I've been. So ask know, the question again so we can hear it. That's such a cool uh, tour. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious when like the craft breweries and the wineries really started picking up in Montgomery County. In, in the Ag Reserve specifically. Yeah, um, the first one, uh, the first two breweries that, that opened, and of course I'm going to butcher the year, but it's, yeah. you know, within the last six or eight years or so. Yeah, was, so not that long. Yeah, it was where Docker Brewing Company. Yeah. Um, well, also Black Ankle. Yeah. But, I have Black Ankle on Foodie and the Beast probably about 10 or 12 years ago. Yeah. I mean, they were just producing wines, but at that point they were the first winery. Are they not Montgomery County? They may just be no, outside yeah, of it. Right. Yeah, but they were the first winery yeah. that was like, no, Maryland makes yeah. wine. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that did spur other wineries and yeah. people are like, oh yeah, we can make wine here. Yeah. Yeah. And, what, and what's important about that is, you know, com uh, businesses like where Docker Brewing Company, you know, in order for them, to, they couldn't just open a brewery. Yep. So they had to make a case for it and, and you know, certain levels of, of code uh, and licensing had to change in order for that to happen. Um, and that opened the door yep. for all the other ones. Yeah. But yeah. it also had to be a general shift of how everybody, government, yep. you know, Definitely. permits, all, everybody had to change their focus because I think for a long time there was sort of a, a negative approach to breweries, wineries, and and distilleries. I mean, it wasn't the district because I don't think people saw it as a viable business that assisted with tourism, that assisted with more, that brought in yeah. more money. It just, I mean, because it was alcohol and it's kind of yeah. a Puritan yeah. well, way of thinking. Also, it's a commercialization of the agricultural reserve and where you draw that line between, hey, we want people to come out here, but we want to maintain farms yeah. and preserve farms. Right. And like that. Yeah. And the key thing is, is that it's all rooted in experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we call, uh, we developed it as the Taste Makers Trail because we wanted people to uh, look up from the glass. You know, obviously, you know, a, you know, the, you're drinking amazing wine or you're drinking amazing cider, but at the same time, you're, you're sitting on and looking at the rolling hills of, of pasture. Mm -hmm. Like that's something that's extremely unique and, and very rooted in place. Excellent. All right. I have to wrap up. Okay. You can ask your question when we're done. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Right, sorry. Cause I'm really the one who gets no, to no, ask of course, the questions. Sorry, I'm curious. We have to like, open one bottle. I know. He's going to open up the second one. Okay. The show is only an hour. I'm sorry, dude, but I really appreciate, um, I really appreciate all of you being here today and sharing all of this information. Cause I, I think it's an, ex um, an incredible example of what can be done to be successful in a county that's so inclusive.
right, for businesses and for both an urban and rural to exist together, but create um, money, an, eco an economic system that really works. So tell everybody, please, where they can find everything that you two are doing so we can stay up to date on all of it. Uh, go to visitmontgomery.com, and uh -huh. that's where you can uh, download our Adventure Planner app, okay. and you can check out Tastemakers Trail and Mocha Weeds. Excellent. I love it. Okay, gentlemen. Tommy, where can I find you? Uh, you can find me online at uh, twostorychimney.com, all spelled out, or on Instagram at twostorychimney. Right. That's T-W-L. Thank you. You're welcome. And you can find us at kaleva.org, C-A-L-L-E-V-A.org. Are you both on Insta? Are you on Insta? Uh, we are, yeah, Kaleva is. I'm a little, I'm myself not, so. Okay, I know, okay. out, I know we are out there. So. Okay, and you? Same, yeah, two-story chimney. Excellent. Okay, great. Well, I want to thank you all for joining thank me you. today. This was really, really interesting. Don't worry, we'll open up that bottle when thank we're all you. done. Um, and it's just like, for me, it's so heartening to see. I love business growing in a positive and um, exciting way. You know, instead of just like, I don't know, not to like Rockville Pike for so long was just like plaza after plaza and parking lot and it was unattractive and there was no way to walk it. Like I love things that are aesthetically pretty, but also business-wise sound. And it just sounds like this has all of that in its place. And so it, it fits me. Um, and I feel like I should be your audience for it. So, yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for having us. Absolutely. Okay. So everything you heard here today can be found on the list. Are you on it.com? So all their events are now going to be on the list, right? You both are going to send me everything. Um, and you know, you can follow me, um, and all my eating journeys and travels at NYCCI, N E L L I S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And we are now on YouTube. Um, thanks to these wonderful gentlemen who are here today and Hardcast Media. Uh, they are filming it and recording it. So I have a bunch of shows on YouTube. I haven't done a lot to like get that word out there because I'm still trying to figure it out, but they look amazing. So you should totally tune in and please subscribe. And if you have questions, hit me up on Insta or hit me up on Twitter and hit me up on um, YouTube as well um, because I'm happy to answer your questions. You can hit me up on Facebook, but I really hate it. So um, chances are I'm not hitting, I'm not answering you there. Um, please subscribe, please comment. And because um, I'd love to know what you think. Lastly, uh, I do want to thank you all for joining me today, my guests and those people who are here today, but also a couple of reminders. While the pandemic is over-ish and uh, it's beautiful out, staffing shortages are still real. Um, and uh, there's also still issues with getting supplies. So take your kindness pills every time you dine out, please. Everybody wants you to have a good experience. Nobody ever wants you to walk away and say, that sucked and I'm never coming back and I'm going to tell 10 of my friends. So go out, spend your money, enjoy, but remember, and have a delicious week. Produced by HeartCast Media.